So welcome to another episode of The Shredder Show, and today's absolute pleasure is having him on the, a podcast for the second time, is and a man who's an absolute legend, I had a pleasure of training with in person, uh, Mr. Milos Archev, so thank you very much for your time, Milos. Uh, thank you, Charlie, for inviting me. I had a great pleasure meeting you and training you and getting to know you. So, of course, anytime you're ready, I would be ready for you. You know, we, we can cover. Uh, last time we talked more about muscle building. I don't know what we're going to talk now, but uh, in any way, I'm, I'm always ready to share my experiences and knowledge. I understand. And it's, uh, I always talk about um, training with you, and I think there was a bit which was filmed at MuscleWorks where you were sadistically killing me on a, like doing like a guillotine chest press with a massive smile on your face and you were genuinely loving life. So that, that will always be a memory I'll always remember. <laughs> I'm loving it right now, as, as you're reminding me. I mean, listen, uh, you know, let's face it. A lot of people are going to the gym to be babysitting, you know, like to be, uh, you know, tap on the shoulder and you did great. No, I am elite coach and I know whoever I train, they want a maximum result. I've seen the fire in you, I've seen your commitment, and you're ready for challenges. So yeah, I, every single set we did, I pushed push it to the limit. And I, I wasn't laughing like, oh yeah, sadistically, I'm, I'm taking that. It's just like, I know the results, okay? And you, you push through the barrier. You, you probably went somewhere you've never been before, right? And, and this is for me kind of training that I always utilize. Lately, recent years, I softened up a little bit and I let people get away with it. But in honesty, I mean, if I'm going to push you, every time you get on the gym floor, it's just like being in a ring with Mike Tyson or whoever. The way I think about it, it's almost like going into battle, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, the most impressive set you did was that shoulder giant set. I mean, back was good too, but shoulder giant sets, I remember very well. I remember shine in your eyes <laughs> and shock like oh shit yeah out of interest who is the hardest training person you've ever trained with uh seriously with without a doubt it's hiratari amagishi i really? mean I, I trained many people but uh he has that uh, samurai spirit and this is the first day i mean a guy came completely unprepared to my gym 2006 and i was training chris dim and uh, uh he just showed up there said okay great get in I mean, he just changed the clothes and, and started training. The first workout, I put him to the same giant sets, uh, crazy workout. He never complained. And uh, there is a moment that you can see, like, you see a lot of people, and uh, you're, you're a coach yourself, so you can uh, um, confirm this. There is a difference from mental and physical failure. A lot of people fail mentally, and then, uh, like, they fail physically because of it. Uh, Hida is the one that would never mentally uh, fail, so he keep going, keep going. For example, uh, you've seen this even in, in a training camp. I could have some guy uh, doing like six reps, like is nothing, and then seven reps he dies. Okay, that's a mental failure. It's not physical, right? You know, so you can see the accumulation of effort and, uh, and you are now pushing to the limit, and maybe you can complete another rep or two or three. But those people, they would do easy, whatever amount of reps, and then die on the next one. This is not a physical failure. You just meant it's okay, that's it. It hurts too much, you know, I don't want to do it, and then let me fail. But, you know, so these are kind of reps, and, you know, I'm doing this for 40 years. If you try to pull that uh, with me, I, I know, it's fake. So I would not let you, you know, fake it. So I would maybe help, and then force you to do another two, two, three, four. 
And let me tell you, Hiritara, even I trained with him yesterday. Uh, it's still same fire growing, uh, 47 years of age. I trained him with Dennis Poff, Dennis James, Sylvia Samuel, those uh, Joel Stubbs, uh, Johnny Jackson. I mean, they, they're all pretty much, you know, I had to take a hat off to him because he would just go for it. You know, he was not the strongest one, but he had always that never die attitude. It's a, it's a mindset thing, really, isn't it? It is. You can't I mean, really, that. mindset, and uh, therefore, you connect that mindset with, uh, you know, mental failure. If uh, your mindset is, there is no way I'm going to back it off until I die, you keep doing it, right? You know, so this should be a mental state going into the uh, set. And uh, like I said before, I always ask this from the guys, and somebody gives me anything less, okay, you know Mark Coles, right? Yeah, I know Mark very well. Okay, so Mark can confirm. I don't know who he was, uh, you know, a bit there. I actually kicked him out. The guy that was with him, it wasn't trying hard enough. I said, okay, get out, come back when you're ready to train, because I don't want him to influence Mark, right? And you, you want to be inspired, not... Uh, was it you know, Jordan Peters I've interested? Mark and Jordan come to you at one point? Yeah, yeah, Mark and <laughs> Jordan, they came to Serbia, and uh, I'm sure that Jordan doesn't like to talk much about it, because Jordan is a powerhouse, one of the you know, strongest guys I've, I've ever seen. And then, of course, I took him out of his element, put him on the, on the giant sets. And uh, we actually had some videos when I, I told him to close his eyes, right, and just keep pushing. And he was pushing this uh, incline uh, uh, bench press machine. There was nothing on it, right, nothing on it. But he was so mentally, you know, eating, oh, this is crazy, this is, you know, a failure. And then I told him, open the eyes. And then he realized he's pushing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. But I, I love Jordan. I mean, uh, yeah, you see, uh, he wanted a challenge. He can probably lift three times as much as I could ever lift, right? So he let me show him this uh, giant sets and volumization principles. And uh, he was game. Uh, I love it. And Mark, Mark is an athlete. All his life he was an athlete. So there's no quitting in Mark. I'm saying it's a mindset. Now, today's podcast, obviously, last time we, we mainly covered maximal muscle building. Today, I wanted to go more down a maximal fat loss approach. And yes. a lot of people in lockdowns or over the world, I think it's probably easier for a lot of people to go down a, a fat loss route than necessarily bulking up. Um, did you have like specific protocols you used with people when you were starting a diet in terms of nutrition and cardio at the beginning? Would you try and always start from quite a high base in terms of calories and things from that side of things? Well, last time we talked, we talked about the muscle building, right? And, and I would always say about the uh, approach. In order to get somewhere, you know exactly uh, how to get there, right? So if you're wandering around, it's going to take you forever. So I always like to have the most effect, effective uh, way, maximally beneficial uh, for, uh, uh, obviously, muscle building. We would have to be in a caloric surplus. We have to have a correct stimulation. Uh, sufficient amount of protein building material and that's how you can expect to grow now when we talk about a fat loss we're not just talk, talking about the weight loss and a lot of times when you go on the podcast and then uh, uh, YouTube videos there's a lot of those uh, uh, um, weight loss uh, clinics and doctors talking about just general weight loss this is not what we are interested in because they tremendously catabolize the muscle tissue they, they lose the weight 
but they lose their act, uh, metabolically active tissue muscle with it. They, they shut down the metabolism. They lose the weight in that process. But then uh, right after two months, three months, four months later, I don't know how long they can manage it. They, they have that yo-yo effects and then they get, regain more fat than before. So uh, for me, that was never an option. For me, starvation, uh, uh, extreme cal caloric restriction, or this intermittent, intermittent fasting uh, uh, idea uh, was always uh, uh, nonsense because first thing is I never, ever, ever, ever want to be catabolic to catabolize my muscle tissue. It's um, uh, metabolically active tissue. And uh, many times when they ask me, what is the best fat burner? Muscle tissue. Build more muscle, you're going to burn more fat. Right on, this, is, this is how, how it is. So would I want purposely lose my muscle tissue in process of losing the weight? Hell no. And I've seen that this is happening with people that uh, have a high caloric deficit. So just like for muscle building, I would first uh, uh, calculate my uh, basic metabolic rate, my physiological needs, and then everything else that I'm doing, exercises, physical activity, I would add you know, all the components and I would see what is my caloric requirement to maintain, <clears throat> okay? So if I now wanna lose, I have to create some uh, uh, metabolic changes and uh, some deficiency in, in calories, but I, I would uh, you know, wanna analyze deeply. So uh, I have diet, there's not one week, one month, three months diet, it's a daily diet, 24 hours a day. If I know my uh, caloric needs, I can create my fat burning phases, and then my maintenance phases and anabolic phases. So even in a, in a greatest diet that you're trying to lose as much body fat as you want, <clears throat> as you need, I would still have that anabolic phase we uh, talked last time in a muscle building, which is uh, right before, during, and right after the training. At that time, I want to supply all the nutrients that we need, uh, amino acids, and natural glucose, all the beneficial supplements, to you know, push it into the muscle tissue that we are training. So at that time, we're going to stop fat burning, okay? But we're going to just uh, uh, feed the muscle, stimulate the muscle, and possibly even, you know, make more muscle tissue at that period. But the uh, remainder of the day, I would, uh, you know, probably take at least one or possibly two fat burning phases when I'm going to create caloric deficit. I'm going to cut out the carbs. I'm going to have no influence of insulin that can inhibit the fat burning. So it would be in a, a caloric deficit uh, a performing cardiovascular activity, like uh, cardio. And uh, as you know, the cardio does burn fat as a, as a um, uh, substrate is uh, energy, fatty acids, not the glucose. Uh, so if I'm going to be two, three hundred calories deficient uh, in my needs, and I'm going to then do extra cardio that burns another three, four hundred calories extra, this is going to go straight from a body fat reserves. I, I mean, after overnight fast, when you didn't have a nutrients, waking up in the morning, you uh, uh, blood is not supplied with any nutrients, amino acids, floating, glucose, or anything. It's normal uh, blood sugar level is, you know, 70 to 90 milligrams per deciliter. You know, you can calculate how little uh, glucose that would be. You know, so at that time, I would want uh, aerobic activity. 
So just recently I had that discussion with a um, few people about uh, should you do high intensity cardio? Should you go uh, 60, 70, 80, 90% the maximum heart rate? And I said, hold on, you guys are all experts. So you know what is the fat burning zone for, uh, uh, for uh, uh, cardio? 60, 65%, okay, that would be exclusively uh, fat burning. And then if they go with this uh, uh, respiratory exchange ratio that uh, uh, respiratory RQ coefficient, it's 0.7. If it's at 0.7, you're burning just fat. If you're increasing the intensity, you're gonna be increasing that uh, uh, quotient. So it's gonna be 0.8. So you're gonna be burning both glucose and uh, fat, uh, fatty acids. So now if you're burning the glucose, you didn't eat anything overnight. You didn't eat anything this morning. You know, so it's gonna to have to you know, create the glucose. And there's no glucose, it's gonna probably have to break down the muscle tissue. And this is why we have uh, many examples. I'm sure you as a coach, you know, some, uh, some guys or, or girls are talking, oh yeah, when you do cardio, I lose size, uh, you know, especially like legs and stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, it is catabolic activity. If you try to push this uh, high intensity on empty stomach, what was the purpose of doing this in the first place? Oh, to burn fat, okay, then burn fat. If 60, 65% of maximum heart rate is burning fat, low intensity cardio, do just that. Okay, so this is what I had, uh, you know, many times uh, um, conflicted with some other uh, coaches. Yeah, if uh, somebody doesn't have much time to die down and they kill their metabolism with the wrong diets and you want to elevate their metabolism, you know, that high intensity cardio does elevate a little bit more, but a little bit at the expense of the muscle tissue. But sometimes client that needs to be ready you have no choice but sacrifice some muscle tissue to get him ready, right? So this is compromises. I always talk about ideal situation. I want a maximal benefits. So if I'm talking about maximal benefits, I wouldn't do the high intensity cardio. I would just do the uh, low impact, you know, uh, initially. So that will, one million percent guarantee, burn some fat from my body fat storage because there was no dietary fat around that's going to initiate my fat burning zone so I can check it. Then I, I have a maintenance phase and maintenance phase can be really uh, per caloric requirement or you can also make a little bit more uh, caloric deficit. So next meals, right, all the way until the, the training time, you can still create a little bit caloric deficit. I would still go with the no carbohydrates. Uh, you know that I'm big on... Uh, on insulin, carbohydrates, you know, muscle contraction, but that's for my anabolic phase. For throughout the day, I would just uh, keep no carbs because uh, I can, you know, just keep utilizing fatty acids as my energy. That uh, 0 0.7 uh, respiratory exchange ratio, it does make a difference. It does make a difference. I've seen it all the time. Some I mean, I would see you probably as one of those guys because you are very lean, very muscular. Uh, you have a good metabolism. You can probably get away like I did with the carbs as well. I just, uh, I could maintain it with the carbs, you know, uh, or I can, you know, create a little bit deficit, you know, from meal to meal 
at that time. Uh, some of us, you know, as Charles Polykin used to say, you're lucky bastards, <laughs> you guys can get away with it. Uh, but uh, in general, when somebody is really focusing on losing body fat, I would stay away from carbs until the meal before the training, during a training and meal after training. That's when I would focus on my anabolic phase. At night, uh, we have a possibility for one more fat burning phase. And I, I'm sure if you follow um, training programs of uh, Ronnie Coleman, of Jay Cutler back in the day, I mean, look, we're talking about absolute mass monsters, right? But you can hear them doing their two hours of cardio. Jay Cutler even sometimes three hours of cardio, right? Um, and Ronnie, uh, because he was police officer, if you remember, he would do morning and evening. Uh, so this is that fat burning phase. And if you have fat to lose, you gotta do it. It's not gonna just disappear, right? You can, you know, sit down and pray that, okay, please melt off the fat. You have to <clears throat> melt it yourself. It's interesting you say that because I think a lot of people get too afraid of doing too much cardio and thinking they're gonna, they're gonna whimper away. And actually interesting what you say about um, people going catabolic and in particular using, losing leg tissue. The worst example I find is that people, particularly women who have an affection for loving the step, the step mill and their heart rate's way too high, like 150, 160, 170. And they wonder why their legs and their ass just falls away. Exactly, you nailed it. This is exactly. But <clears throat> you see, uh, we have a lot of intelligent people and educated people and the coaches and athletes, they just, for whatever reason, block their mind and they don't wanna think, your answer is right there, just, you said it right there. Okay, if I go to the 150, you know, beats per minute heart rate, you know, I'm dying there, this is muscular work. <laughs> and you're not burning fat anymore, <clears throat> you know? So, yeah, uh, especially, you know, like uh, uh, guys, uh, not so much girls, but uh, guys that don't have uh, legs to begin with, right? the ones that you would like to put the more legs, you know, and so uh, don't do cardio, don't want If you do the correct cardio, it's gonna have zero influence on your muscle mass. But if you, uh, you know, do these kind of things, and they do it without thinking, right? And then when I tell them, they say, oh yeah, I know I'm doing it wrong. What, what do you answer for the person, intelligent person that tells you, no, I know you're, I'm doing it wrong. I just walk away. I don't even answer anything. Uh, the, the definition of uncoachable. <laughs> yeah, you know, but uh, uh, sometimes you have to be sarcastic. Sometimes you have to, you know, slap them on or, or repeat the question so they have to answer themselves. Oh, I know I'm doing it wrong. Okay, one more time. I know I'm doing it. So are you going to do something about it? You know? <clears throat> 100%. Um, one of the things you were obviously very famed for, Milos, was your midsection and phenomenal core you had, which obviously... Some of that is due down to genetics, but also obviously the way you trained in your nutrition. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, okay. As far as nutrition, yes. Uh, you know, if you go down to, to super low body fat, super thin skin, then you know, all the musculature is gonna you know, be emphasized. But uh, for abs in particular, and I promise you that, I didn't have like uh, genetically deep abs. I mean, I had okay. You can see, you know, in the, in the beginning of my career, I was training karate first and then judo. And then of course, you know, when you train judo, you do a lot of uh, uh, core strengthening. And uh, I mean, I had some, but it was more sit-ups type and all that stuff that uh, didn't really 
make my abs deep. When I uh, started training, uh, uh, I had the uh, uh, pleasure of seeing uh, some guy, he was a professor uh, and a gymnast, and oh my God, he had like crazy abs. And uh, <clears throat> all I see him always do is uh, hanging leg raises. And as he was doing a uh, uh, shirtless, right? So you can see with every rep, you know, you can see stretching, creating that gap between abdominal wall deeper, 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 deeper. And then, of course, I start doing it because, uh, you know, monkey see, monkey do. You see something, oh, I like it, so <laughs> monkey's going to do it. And, I, and I, uh, I start getting a great abs, right? And uh, then I combine, of course, what else exercise can really, you know, create that stretch? You, the abdominal wall, like if you do the sit-ups and crunches, you're usually limited with the bench or the floor, so you don't overextend and you go like extra 20, 30%, right? So, and this is what it's at, cable high-pulley cable crunches, you can have that stretch. Uh, and uh, I've seen it, dramatic difference with so many people. But uh, you see, 1987, I came to the States. And then uh, 88, I came back to Serbia. And uh, I was in some gym in Belgrade, and I was doing these kind of things. And then a couple of years later, I come back to a Serbian championship. I was guest posing. And God damn, I mean, there was like, Every Serbian competitor on the stage had a, you know, crazy abs like me, right? And of course, they were all doing it. And, you know, so it's not just uh, anecdotal evidence or something. I promise you, if you guys, you know, want a deep abs, first you have to visualize it, you have to feel it. Okay, somebody's going to say, if you do the hanging leg raises, your hip flexors take over. Yeah, it's a uh, assisting muscle. But uh, if you feel that stretch between the abs, and you squeeze from the abs, not from the hip flexors. Uh, when you finish the set, you feel like, like somebody vacuumed the, the, the uh, stomach and then, then the skin is pushing towards the abs. I've seen it happen over and over that you can dramatically improve your midsection with these exercises. And I would do it every single day. I would do the uh, three supersets before every workout. So, uh, and I was training uh, twice a day, six days a week back in the day. But then closer to the contest, I would do uh, three sets before, three sets after, right? So when you do that, you're constantly in a mind-muscle connection, controlling the abs. Uh, you always glue your stomach to your spine, so to speak. So you have a flat stomach and you can feel that, you know, uh, separation. Let's face it. Uh, I don't know how many pro bodybuilders you know right now. Uh, that uh, are competing. Tell me, when was the last time that you saw them doing abs in a gym? Very, very rarely. Very, very few of them you actually see train them. Very yeah. Rarely. What sense does that make? And, and when you think about it as well, from a logical point of view, physiologically, that's the, the core of your physique, which stabilizes your rib cage and your pelvis, which underpins every exercise you do. Absolutely. But uh, okay, because I, I, I don't know. Who you see who you don't see but i'm sure that you have access to some pros and when you go to the gym and you look i don't see anybody train i mean it's just beyond me to understand that you know and then besides from aesthetic standpoint if you go to the bodybuilding contest and it doesn't matter if it's classic physique or men's physique or bodybuilding or it doesn't matter uh boom if you just glance for uh, you have a 10 seconds to look i guarantee you your eyes are gonna go for the you know, best mid midsection. Yeah, you, you need that V-taper, X-frame, you know, whatever. But uh, 
it's six little uh, symmetrical muscles in the uh, you know, center of your body. It's the biggest attraction. You, you just go for it. And uh, uh, whoever is listening right now, of course, uh, let's face it. I don't know if your, your um, uh, audience is, uh, you know, bodybuilders or just, uh, you know, people that train. Uh, I said this at the Masculine Development interview. And a lot of people judge me, but uh, I said this. There's no way anybody is going to convince me. If, if, you, if any man can choose to be skinny, fat, or muscular, they're going to say, oh, I want to be skinny. Oh, I want to be fat. Oh. Right? So you want to be muscular. Maybe you don't want to be at the size level of a pro bodybuilder, but you want to be muscular. And uh, one of the biggest traits for muscular physiques, abs. Right? So I think everybody should pay attention to their abs. They should train them. There's so much benefits, like say core, core strength, you know, and it's functional muscle and it's a beautiful muscle. It's, it's something that I, I think if somebody is listening to this, should, you know, probably make that little change. I suggest at the beginning of the workout, because it's a good core uh, warm up anyway, right? Before you do anything else, three supersets, hanging leg raises, high pulley cable crunches, as many as you can. First day, if you do 10 and 10, then you're gonna work it up to 15, 15 20, 20, and so on. Uh, it's five minutes at the most, and makes all the difference. One thing that I think I'd add in, I've changed very much the way I do hanging leg raises recently. Um, and one of those things is really focusing on, like you said, almost doing like a sort of a vacuum in before you start every rep. And the other thing is also getting my pelvis in line and actually I'm doing a huge amount of work to uh, loosen off my hips because my hips are so tight that my hip flexors will just fire all the time. And that's automatically now my hips aren't tight. My uh, hips are in a, the proper position and now it's like a completely different exercise and my midsection has completely changed shape. Perfect advice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's a uh, you know, great description. Uh, and uh, whoever is doing it, please listen to the Charlie's advice. Exactly. You overcome both things Yeah, with, with this. Reduce the uh, hip flexion, uh, hip flexors involvement, and uh, you're focusing on your abs. You know, so you, you do like kind of vacuum, which obviously to do that you have to tighten up your midsection. And uh, yeah, it, it's a perfect advice. And I, I don't know why you know not too many people do it. Back in the day, uh, Serge Nubre, for example, and uh, uh, Robbie Robinson, and uh, you name it, uh, Arnold Franco, uh, Frank Zane. They're all doing it, right? It's like, it was kind of routine. And I don't know what changes throughout the years, like already in the 90s. I mean, I don't remember talking to, and Sean had a great ad, right? And we, we talked about it instead of, okay, we have a good abs, we don't need to train them. No, fool. If you have something exceptionally good, make it even better, make it stand out. You know, so if you have, you know, already great abs, don't get lazy. Don't get, oh, I don't need it. Yes, you do. You know, abs are something that you should train for life. 100%. In talking about mobility and stretching, is that something you did much work on during your career or are you always fairly mobile? Yeah, no, you see, because I was in the judo, you know, like uh, I, I started with this, so I was very uh, mobile. I was able to stretch. I don't know if you watched my... Uh, Serbian ninja. Yeah, well, I, listen, I was doing uh, uh, splits uh, during my posing routines back in uh, early 90s. And then when I, when I tore my hamstring doing a stiff leg deadlifts, 
and then second time uh, doing a heavy uh, leg rolls, uh, laying leg rolls, and then third time, you know, heavy standing leg rolls. Uh, it's uh, just amazing. Three times I tore my hamstring, but uh, uh, at that time I limited a little bit. But if anybody is telling me, stretching is not important. What do we always want to accomplish in any exercise, any uh, muscle contraction, right? We want to have a full range of motion. So if you can really stretch it and you know, have a more mobility and you can stretch more chest, more quads, more anything, obviously it's going to be more stimulation you know, because we do need that uh, maximum stretching, maximum shortening, lengthening, shortening. And a lot of people are way too stiff, never stretch. And I've seen this even with the top pros. It's interesting you say that because one of the big things I've noticed is that talk about say hip flexors again as an example is that obviously muscles work in agonists and antagonists in terms of opposites that now my hip flexors are now fully mobile that I can now get my hamstring fully short because when my hips were so tight beforehand it wouldn't allow me to get into that range of motion to get say for example a lying hamstring curl to a fully shortened position with control. Yeah. You see <clears throat> I don't know if we touched that at that uh, training camp in Orpington, but uh, uh, probably didn't because I didn't have a time. Uh, one of the things that we'd always like to implement also is that stretch overload. So for any muscle, if it's chest and back and legs, you get into that uh, uh, super stretch position with a heavy load, and then you hold that static contraction. And uh, you see, I, I never really believe in this hyperplasia uh, you know, uh, what they talk about, I believe in hypertrophy, the cell, cell proliferation, all that stuff. But really, are we making a new muscle tissue, like they say, new, new muscle fibers, hyperplasia? And uh, when you do read the studies, all these uh, studies, okay, and the bird, birds, you know, this avian species. But uh, interestingly, it's always in stretch overload uh, type of stimulation. So, you know, for that reason, I said, like, okay, let, let me, you know, try to do this. And uh, uh, I applied it in, in uh, many exercises. They're comfortable that you can reach that safe overstart and such, and with a crazy load. And it's very effective, you know, for both mobility and uh, for hypertrophy. It is something, I, I don't, on the hamstring, I don't know uh, if you had an issue. Yeah, I, I would probably... Uh, yeah, do on, on the laying laterals, you know, that uh, super load in a completely stretched position, you know, <laughs> uh, stopping short of, uh, you know, resting it on, on, uh, on the machine. But uh, uh, try to, to do this for 30, 45, 60 seconds. It's, it's phenomenal simulation. Yeah, it's agonizing. I find personally that won't tend to work particularly well with back exercises as well for stretching your lats, like mm. almost just like weighted hanging from a bar, for example. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, John Meadows used to do some crazy stuff. I watched his videos. <laughs> yeah, I, I have you seen his uh, uh, under the rack bend over rows? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when he limits it and then like he squeezes for like thirty seconds and his <laughs> face is going going to explode. You know what an animal! I mean, he he's really an unbelievable trainer. Yeah, if you if you know John, I've been trying to put some pressure on trying to get him onto the podcast. So. I'm a big, big fan of his as well. So uh, it'd be a pleasure to catch uh, him. He never came. I'll, I'll send him a yeah. message. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, next, in terms of questions for you, Milos, in terms of obviously your intra-workout instant protocol, 
with muscle building we talked about previously. How does that differ more in a fat loss phase? Uh, okay, so you see- Or do you keep that the same and just try and protect muscle tissue? Absolutely the same. And a lot of people would say, you have a, a different protocols. No, that's my anabolic phase. What does it mean anabolic phase? You know, this is when I have opportunity that hyperemia, uh, increased blood flow to the muscle is coming. If it's saturated with all the anabolic nutrients, right? Uh, and then I elevate uh, glucose level, you know, have my pancreas release insulin. Insulin is gonna shove everything from that blood into the first available tissues and cells. And so there'll be muscle tissue, muscle cells. Each contraction is gonna, you know, push it in. So I always talk about maximal benefits. So my anabolic phase, regardless if I'm off season, just any day or a pre-contest fat loss, my anabolic phase is still anabolic phase. This is a time that I would, you know, have to have my, you know, carbs and uh, all the essential aminos and all that stuff. Ideally, the only time when I would differ from that, okay, now if, if I would put somebody in a, keto, a ketogenic diet, keto diet, and uh, then I really wouldn't want to get out of ketosis, you know, then I would have to uh, get out the, uh, my carbs from it. But it would, for me, be the purpose. It's not going to be maximized. It's going to be compromised. But uh, for some people, you know, uh, uh, they're really way off and you have uh, emergency measures and you have to do keto diet. So, uh, let's face it, in a short uh, um, explanation, keto diet is very effective for a fat loss, but it absolutely uh, uh, catastrophic for hypertrophy. You know, you cannot build a muscle uh, on a keto diet. I was uh, gonna ask your opinion of that, to be fair, because that's very much mine. Obviously, if you think about it logically, the way the body's designed is glycogen and glucose is fuel for muscles to contract. So it doesn't seem to make much sense to me in terms of why people would go down the keto route, unless, as you said, it was a, uh, a worst case scenario almost but then in my opinion i'd rather they went very low carbohydrate and just lower the calories from anywhere else yeah i mean but this is one of those examples when i said that encouraging people knowing the answer uh ignoring it and doing the wrong things like you said glycogen or glucose okay and then if you don't have a neither glycogen nor glucose in a keto diet right uh yeah ketones would be produced but also you know, uh, muscle is going to be broken down and uh, into uh, gluconeogenesis. It give you some uh, uh, aminos guarantee. You know, when you look uh, um, just 20 amino acids that we have, two are ketogenic, right? Lysine and leucine. And then you have uh, uh, this PITTT, uh, phenylalanine, isoleucine, threonine, tryptophan, and uh, whichever I forgot, threonine. Those are both glycogenic and uh, ketogenic. So some amino acids, yeah, converted to ketones, yes. But majority of are gonna turn into the glucose, guarantee. So I'm gonna purposely now uh, catabolize my muscle. I'm not gonna take uh, any carbs. I'm not gonna, I have zero glycogen already. I'm depleted after the third day of, but now I'm gonna burn my muscles because the only thing that you can, you know, get this would be a uh, muscle tissue. Uh, so for, for me, it doesn't make sense. Do you get lean on a keto diet? Yes, you do. But uh, this is what I was watching since 1970s, 
80s, uh, 90s, uh, there would be guys, you know, typically, they compete in a 70 kilo class or 80 kilo class, right? And then they're a whole year, they're changing it, and then come back again into the same category for 10 years. I mean, you just trained for 10 years, day in, day out, all this stuff, and you didn't make any progress, why? Because they would boom, go in those crash diets, usually ketogenic diets, right? And we are all just humans, you know, when you crave and crave and crave, you're hungry, and then contest is over, what do we do? Whoa, you know, food free for all, pig out, right? And then, like I said, your metabolism is shut down, your, you know, your body's gonna just be like a sponge. And then once you gain all this you know, weight, but it's, it's some muscle and tons of fat, then you're gonna start uh, dieting for the <laughs> next show, and then you're gonna have to be uh, dramatic, okay, I'm gonna just go back on keto. And this is what happens. I mean, uh, realistically, we talk, okay, uh, uh, fat adapted, carb adapted, and the uh, metabolic flexibility. Look, all of us, all of us would be flexible enough if you have a carbs when you need carbs, right? I mean, we can even, uh, I actually get a very good device, the Lumen, right? And it really tells you, uh, you know, with the, you know, how much carbon dioxide you breathe out if you're burning mostly carbs or fat, yeah? It's a very useful tool. But uh, bottom line is still uh, caloric requirement. If uh, you can use carbs and lose body fat, right? If you're a caloric, you create a caloric deficit. But in general, all the population, uh, I think we touched the subject last time. I'm going to just uh, repeat it again. My 24-hour diet would be based on uh, training has to be anabolic phase. And this is when I have a lot of lean protein and, and uh, easily absorbable amino acids with the carbs. Carbs could be simple carbs, glucose, because we're going to need that glucose you know, uh, to, to elevate uh, uh, blood sugar levels during a training. So meal before, it can be some starchy complex carbs, but intra-workout should be simple. You know, you don't want to wait you know, for polysaccharide to be broken down, just simple carbs. This is the time when you build muscle. If uh, I need to burn body fat, I'm going to create fat burning phase maybe in the morning or twice. But the remainder of the meals should be maintenance phase. And for granted, it's much easier to control your weight if uh, you do it with uh, uh, protein and fats rather than carbs. Because you see, as soon as you touch the carbs, your blood sugar level increases, pancreas releases insulin, insulin is in the bloodstream, it's not selective. So if you have you know, uh, lingering around you know, triglycerides, and the glucose and amino acids is going to store everything. And throughout the day, <clears throat> blood is not in the muscle. So it can store in the fat depots. So unless you're lucky, like I said, with you, myself, some other athletes that can utilize both carbs and fat, and no problem, no problem. Unless you're one of those lucky ones, it's easy for you as a coach, me as a coach, to tell the general population, you know, have a lean protein, you know, any kind of proteins with good fats. Uh, throughout the day, except when you're training, because when you're training, as you said, we need the glucose as a fuel, that's when we are doing. And at this period of time, we're gonna stop fat burning, okay, we will. But our goal right here is to anabolize, you know, build. This is the, that anabolic phase. 
it would last like maybe four hours during the day. The remainder of the day, maintain or, or burn fat. And that's uh, what is much easier with uh, protein and, and fats with other carbs. Question for you, so would you, I know we, I had the pleasure of attending your event in MuscleWorks. You mentioned in terms of a mass building side of things, adding in uh, amino shakes between meals. Is that something you would do again during a fat loss phase to protect yes. cat going catabolic? Yes, okay. And uh, I hope that uh, your audience understand what you said. Uh, <clears throat> even in a fat burning uh, diet, I would use same principle as in my building diet, that in between meals, I would have a, a extra addition of essential amino acids and glutamine. Okay, so in between meals, if your meals are three, four hours apart, then uh, every hour and a half after, or two hours after the meal, I would add like 10 grams of EAAs, 10 grams of glutamine, or a woman, maybe five and five. Why? I would always wanna ensure influx of amino acids. So 24 hours a day, I have a floating around my amino acids needed for all the physiological needs, not just for muscle, but uh, uh, when, when we look at it, uh, protein is the only building material and it has uh, you know, various functions. It's not just for lean tissue, enzymes, hormones, you know, all kinds of stuff, uh, tissues are, are necessary built from all that protein. If I have available throughout the day, then protein synthesis occurs for any tissue that is needed. If it's a limited amount, a muscle tissue is last on the list of priorities. You know, the, the protein, those amino acids are gonna be integrated in everything else first. And then whatever is left over, if enough, yeah, it will go to the muscle tissue. You know, this, this is how it normally works. So what I like to implement is, you know, constant influx of amino acids. Because let's face it, if you have a eggs or a beef or a chicken or a turkey or whatever, you know, protein source that you're taking, you're gonna have to digest it. And it takes, I don't know, two, three, four hours sometimes to break it down that the peptide protein that you're eating into the amino acids. So for that reason, yeah, I like to, what I call fortify my diet with extra amino acids. Thank you. Thank you for remembering that. Yeah, this, this is what I do. Would you ever do anything like that during the night out of interest? Or would you ever you try to use slower digesting? Uh, from your smile, I'm gonna guess you've tried things like this. Yeah, I did. I mean, uh, uh, I think I said this in a few podcasts, back in uh, 87, 88, when I, when I came, I would do alarm, the cheap clock, <laughs> the $20 Chinese clock, the watch, and every, every three hours it would be alarm. Midnight, three o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, and on and on and on. Back in those times, you know, you couldn't really get the amino acids. It was not uh, uh, available, but you could get the, you know, protein shakes, right? So I was, I was having my protein shakes, midnight, alarm goes off, three o'clock. Uh, and, and a lot of people would say, well, but you disrupt your, your resting and, uh, um, you know, hypertrophy, uh, you know, that can occur during your resting period. I mean, uh, I was so trained that I could, this alarm clock, you know, gulp it down and be right back to sleep. Uh, do I do this uh, to most of my, uh, my athletes? No, I, I would give them uh, right before they go to sleep, still amino acids as a last thing before they go to sleep. Uh, you know, so, but I would not disrupt their, uh, their sleepy pattern. Because nowadays, let's face it, uh, 
few, I mean, 20 years ago, there was not as much stress as nowadays. <laughs> now everybody's stressful. Particularly with reason, COVID right? at the moment, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is just a bonus plan on top of everything. Yeah, but uh, yeah, again, my general view on uh, protein intake is I was always very high on protein and a lot of people said, you know, this is ludicrous. Uh, I was taking uh, uh, four grams of protein per pound, right? Or up to two uh, grams per kilo, right? I said, that's not necessary, not uh, in all these studies and all. I said, listen, when I did the uh, one gram per pound and then raise it to two and I get uh, much greater gains and I raise it to three and I get even more gains and I raise it to four uh, and get more gains, what do you think I'm going to listen to? Uh, my own experience or what books tell me? What some scientist or researcher that uh, did what? It took uh, 10 subjects and uh, they put them on this little thing and then they, they come up with, there's no more muscle protein synthesis in a group that have a higher protein. Oh, you failed to mention that they actually didn't exercise. They're just regular people. I say, if you want to talk about scientific studies, please go to Mr. Olympia, pick 10 guys and test them and put them on you know, one gram per kilo uh, or two grams per kilo, you know, and, and see who's going to gain more. So, you know, for me, it's, it was always um, very logical. Building material, only building macronutrients is protein, broken down in the constituents amino acids. I have to have sufficient amino acids in the bloodstream at all times. Because uh, let, Let's just a little bit be technical. Right now, your body would... Uh, have a reason to synthesize uh, muscle tissue, protein muscle synthesis. He would have it because you're stimulated and our body wants to build it. Well, you're going to have to have a, you pair all the amino acids to structure muscle protein. So he's going to have to find the, for example, lysine and then messenger RNA goes and finds it and transport RNA brings it there. And then the next one, right? Arginine finds it, brings it. And this one, this one, this one. This one. So it just goes and finds. So non-essential amino acids could be manufactured in the body, okay? So needed body manufacturers, but essential cannot. So right now you need methionine and it is not available. Process stops until it's available. So why would I, okay, compromise my growth? I said, maybe I have it, maybe I don't have it. Oh, well. I hope I'm lucky. You know, luck is not for, a, for a champions. Uh, champions make their own luck. Okay, so if I want to make sure that I have a sufficient amount of all the amino acids, especially essential amino acids, at all times, so I cannot compromise my muscle growth, that's what I would do. And I don't know if you had uh, some of your uh, guests and doctors, they would always talk about all oh, this unnecessary to take so much protein. <sighs> Did you ever try it, right? I had a, one of uh, my heroes is uh, a mixed martial artist, uh, Mirko Filipovic Krokop from uh, uh, Croatia, right? And uh, he posted something on Instagram that just struck me. Like, well, he says, one gram of practice is heavier than one ton of theory, okay? And because he's also himself, you know, 
analyze, investigate, applies, you know, and uh, yeah, he hears the theory, but who does the theory? You know? Um, there's a saying I love and it's, uh, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. And like yeah. the anecdotal evidence, the way you look, the way your clients look, and it's all great for some scientists who's never stepped in the gym to say something, but then there's no substance a lot of the time to practically back that up, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm sure that, uh, uh, look, I know that you educate yourself, you do the research, you apply your knowledge, and, you know, knowledge is power only if applied, right? But uh, what's the difference from, uh, from uh, leaders and followers? Followers follow what they're told, okay? Or this is the established road, you know, it's uh, cement, you just go this way. Here is the grass nobody had went through. Who's going to take that road? You don't know where it ends. Well, I will, right? I'm going to try apply something new and see. Maybe this is, you know, how they say there are many roads that lead to Rome. Yeah, but there's one is most uh, efficient, fastest all the way. But if you just do, because somebody 2,000 years ago, 3,000, you know, went this way. Well, how about this one? Ooh, don't do it. Why? So uh, this is how I would do everything as far as training and diet, nutrition, supplementation. Uh, if it makes sense, okay, please try it. And then, of course, what's the worst thing that can happen? Oh, it didn't work. Well, I was encouraged by uh, my father since I was a kid, which was probably the greatest thing that uh, he told me. Oh, yeah, making mistakes is great. Make mistakes so you know you'll learn from mistakes. But really, uh, I see a lot of my friends here in the United States, oh, they're terrified of making mistakes because the parents, you know, punish them and, and make fun of them for making mistakes. And I think that really, uh, when you think about it, especially for young people, the way my father explained it to me, I, I was looking forward to make a mistake. Oh yeah, <laughs> I made a mistake. I learned something. So saying you win or you learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, uh, Conor McGregor's uh, book, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, you mentioned there, Milos, in regards to champions. Do you have anyone you're working with at the moment who you're particularly excited about? I know you're working with a friend of mine, Ryan Crowley, for I think for his last show. Is there anyone else? Yes, he's a young uh, uh, prospect. I, I have a, uh, you know, as you know, I was preparing Max Charles this year, um, and I'm a big fan of Max. I still think he's uh, way uh, underrated that if you really analyze his physique, he's a muscular aesthetic freak, which means he has that aesthetic shape, wide shoulders, big arms, small waist, crazy abs. You know, he needs a little bit more legs. Uh, yeah, but it's not uh, missing as much as, as uh, you know, some of the people want to believe. He, he does have a, a enough muscle mass. So I have a, a high plans with him this year. He showed up uh, in the first four shows, you know, it was, you know, greatest conditioning. Everything was there. For Olympia pre-judging, yeah, we, we missed it a little bit. For finals, we were good, but it was not enough. So here's uh, one of them. Uh, I have uh, uh, some, uh, I mean, a lot of people are not aware of um, Iranian bodybuilders. Uh, so one that I'm particularly excited is that Bakruz Tabani. Uh, I posted just a couple of times pictures. I still want to keep him a little bit on Instagram as a secret, but uh, we are right now deciding which show to do. 
uh, he has uh, that spectacular physique. I mean, I promise you, if you see him, you're gonna say, oh my God. Uh, he was a world champion like three years ago, but then uh, turned the pro and they still didn't do the pro debut. Um, the the um, uh, aesthetics is, I think, what uh, should rule. You know, it's when you have that V-taper, X-frame, round muscle bellies, cartoonish superhero character, you know, these are, these are kind of uh, things. Uh, that I have a, a, also from Saudi Arabia, uh, Fahad Azizi. I, I have some uh, uh, not maybe famous names yet, but we <coughs> hope to make the names. Ryan Crowley, yeah, he's a, a young uh, potential. It's, uh, I told him at this point is unfortunate uh, for him to be so tall. But uh, on the long run, it's going to be his advantage. Now he's a disadvantage, right? But when he peels up that frame, he's going to be like Arnold and Franco, right? Uh, Arnold would say, bigger, taller, bigger, muscular man would always beat the smaller, you know, muscular man. So, uh, and I have a, um, a lot of prospects on a, a pro level but uh, uh, they didn't do the pro debut. This COVID thing really ruined it. Like, I can't tell you, I probably had like about 30 athletes training for the show that was canceled. And me being a, a pro for 12 years and competing in all these shows, uh, one time, one time only, you know, I was training for this contest and it was canceled, Florida, you know, one year. And I remember I, I was so bummed and devastated, right? Now these guys, you know, they, they were preparing since, you know, March of the Arnold Classic, right? Uh, there was so many shows. We are picking for it. They are ready for it. And then canceled. Okay, we're going to do the next one. It's canceled. And I don't know how many shows are canceled. It's uh, ridiculous. Now, this year, as you know, Arnold Classic is moved to some later date. We still have no idea. Olympia, we still have no idea when it's going to be. You know, so it is really tough to stay motivated um, under these circumstances, you know. Do you have most of your athletes then going into an off-season at the moment, just trying to add more size on it, providing they can train? Yeah, yeah but uh, I think we touched that subject also. I never really believed in off-season as a word off really turns me off. You know, because... <laughs> a muscle growing uh, yeah, Because, you see, uh, when you have that... You have an instantly license to be off in any possible way, off my diet, off, you know. So oh yeah, time it's like the word cheat meal. I think it's stupid. Yes, yes, but uh, you know, uh, as it goes, usually cheat meal goes into the cheat day, and then uh, you know, one day it becomes two, and then I'm not so clean. I mean, I have a lot of clients that when when they uh, you know come to me. Uh, to prepare them, I always ask. Uh, I'm always everything on time. What time you wake up, what time you train, what time you go to bed. And then I structure everything that we talk about. Meals accordingly, amino acids accordingly. So I so say, give me your, your present diet. Ooh, you know, I haven't been really following a diet. I say, okay, so what do you mean? Oh, I've, I've been eating what? Whatever. I mean, really. And this is, this is how most of the people approach off-season. I'm free to eat whatever, calories. Calories is not gonna build the muscle. You know, so yeah, if my off season, okay, it's uh, planned 
caloric surplus. I'm going to make sure you have a, all the protein and I'm going to make sure you have a carbs when you need them, okay? And I'm going to make sure you don't have a overload of fat that uh, we're going to gain 10 pounds of muscle and 20 pounds of fat. So what did we do then? You know, so for me, if you follow my career, I competed from 1991 until 1999. Uh, I did these 72 shows, which is, you know, I was constantly on. And the biggest gains I made is immediately after the contest, right? When you maybe have to be a little bit on a calorie restriction and a, some deficit. Now I no longer need to be in a deficit. And I want to like, obviously I want to grow. So I would allow myself what I think is my caloric requirement plus extra two, three, 500 calories from a good nutrients. And then I realized, oh, this is good and I'm not gaining any you know, body fat. Okay, maybe I can bump it up for another two, 300. So it's controlled. Most of us, we don't know, but we can really get away with it, right? Like right now, if I say, Charlie, okay, I want you to build as much muscle as possible, right? And let's structure the diet. You would be somewhat careful, somewhat uh, restricted. Oh, <laughs> but if I only give you good protein, uh, good carbs, and very, very low fat, okay? Uh, what are the chances that you're going to put body fat? Okay, so this is maybe a very good subject to, to touch. A lot of people uh, believe that carbs would be converted and stored as a fat. And I think I talked about this in our training camp, that de novo lipogenesis, conversion of carbohydrates into the fat, is not efficient in humans. It doesn't happen. And uh, back in the day when I was doing this clinical nutrition and reading it, I said, like, well, shit, carbs convert into the fat. Yeah, really, because we are told so. So all these no-carb diets, you lose uh, body fat, great. Oh, carbs are the enemies. But if you don't have high fat, you have a very low fat. And my diet, when you look at back in the day, I was doing a 500 grams of protein, five, 700 grams of carbs, and my fat was 30 grams, just hidden fat in my, uh, you know, yeah, in my food. And I could push it, push it, push it. So carbs are very inefficient in conversion. Carbs are not gonna convert into fat. And if you go to some clinical nutrition uh, researchers, they say possibly uh, maximally 10% of uh, carbohydrate calories can be converted into fat. Oh, what does that mean? If you take 1,000 grams of carbs, that's 100 grams of carbs, 400 calories, for example, right? Under norm normal circumstances, we would think, oh, this is going to be, you're going to turn into the fat slab. So I had uh, hundreds of guys uh, to experiment with myself included, right? So I would get, get them super high protein, super high carbs, minimal fats. And they would hardly ever pick up any body fat that is concerning, right? Yeah, of course, when you have so much carbs and you have a fully loaded glycogen, you're holding a little bit more water and all that stuff. But carbohydrates do not convert into the fat like people believe it. Because of this, well, no carb craze, no carb craze, Atkins diet, keto diet, this, uh, you know, especially in a working athlete, uh, muscle building athlete, we need carbs. You, you said it yourself, either glycogen or glucose, yeah? I'm gonna make sure that I have enough glycogen and glucose. If I deplete the glycogen during a training, I'm gonna again replenish it, you know, afterwards. But I'm gonna work on the fuel carbs that my body needs it. We were talking today, subject was fuel for a 
uh, cardio is fat. Yeah, and that time have fats. You know, so the, the first part of the interview, we talk about fat burning is different. At that time, I want substrate of utilization, right? To be fat, fatty acids, no problem. But off season we're talking about, for a bodybuilder, I would reduce your fats to, to nothing. I would uh, uh, you know, much rather you know, have you on six, seven, eight hundred thousand grams of carbs <laughs> than uh, you know, get to three, four hundred with whatever fats. I agree completely. And to be honest with you, I'd rather eat the carbs anyway. And it's something I've noticed heavily myself that I can push my carbs very high and keep my fats down. My body responds much better to that. Um, Perfect. Can, can you tell your, your uh, audience like how much carbs you're talking about daily? Uh, so not super high, but for my body weight, like 500 a day. Um, yeah. Before guys, I was up to like 700. My, my activity is pretty low because I work from home other than training. Yeah. So for, for me, that's, that's pretty decent. And it's, I'm just trying to gradually take that up now as, uh, and try and keep body fat down. Yeah, yeah. So you're a perfect example of uh, advice you're trying to give to the audience. If you're a bodybuilder inspiring that you want to you know, put some muscle size, Charlie, uh, how much you weigh? Uh, 95 kilos. 95 kilos? Very light, yeah. small. Yeah, well, that's good. Uh, you're, you're, you're not small by no means. And you're very muscular, in great shape. 500 grams of carbs. I know a lot of pro bodybuilders that take less. And when I feel like, you know, for the love of God, you know, you know how they look at me? They look at me, oh, here it is, you know, Miller's insulin guy and carb guy and all that. No, <laughs> I am nutrient guy, nutrient. I don't take this for it. I take carbs because bodybuilder needs, muscle needs carbs as a fuel, right? And it's a glycogen. You want to have a fully loaded, you know, muscle tissue that the skin is bursting because there's so much glycogen filled. How are you going to get that uh, glycogen from eating three, 400 grams of carbs? That's what most of the people do. Three, 400. How much uh, uh, glycogen and carbs, you know, you, you're going to burn in that really intense training, intense training. And that's uh, first time I, I learned about that was from Charles Polikin because, you know, since 96, you know, we did Okay. So he said, okay, Milos, Estimate how much uh, uh, glucose or glycogen you burn in one hour of uh, intense training. So I, I didn't have a studies, right? You know, it's just like, okay, 100, 250. I says, no, this is 200. And then if you remember back in the day, Charles, in the early 90s, he would suggest like 200 grams of pure dextrose immediately after training. And the uh, rationale behind it is you burn 200 grams of glycogen, you, you get that you know, 200 grams of dextrose and the insulin dump, you know, to push it right back in. So if anything like this, and some uh, researchers can possibly say I'm wrong, or right? they can find those studies. But if you train, like we train, you know, in Orpington gym, you know, you know, you burn 150 to 200 grams. I in think that it, was, it felt like it was a lot more than that, if I'm honest. <laughs> Probably. I, I mean, I-, I The psychological that, stress afterwards. <laughs> so, you burn 200 right there. Uh, your brain needs uh, 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 500 calories, 125 grams of glucose to function properly. If you're not going to have, a, obviously, ketones, to, uh, we're not going to go with the ketones. We, we feed our brain with the glucose. That's 125. That's 325 already. So, if you are taking uh, 400 grams of carbs, you know, in your mass building uh, cycle, what do you think you're going to build? 
you know, because you're 24 hours, uh, you know, based on metabolic rate and uh, everything else that you do requires way more. So this is why I was saying, when they structure the diet, many are, are afraid to, to push for it. I wasn't. So I was okay. I do this much and I inspect what I expect. Oh, I gain, but I feel a little flattish. Maybe I can do a little bit more. Next day, I increase the carbs and then increase the carbs. So as I told you, I was eating five to 700 uh, grams of carbs regularly, but uh, there was many times I was doing uh, even over 1,000. If you ask Jay Cutler, he was going well over 1,000 and making a, a great gains. You know, of course, everything is individual, but if you, once and for all, master your metabolism, you, uh, what we talked about from the beginning, you have a frequent meals and uh, nutrient, not calorie-based, you know, cover all the bases, uh, you're gonna see how much more I can take. And then instead of off-season, just eating whatever, it's planned. Protein and carbs, amounts, times. Because tannic is important and uh, uh, amount. This is easily observable, it takes more time, but uh, protein-wise, I cover this with all these amino acids in between meals. So even if you take beef that takes forever to be digested, you know, uh, it's gonna, those amino acids gonna pick up later. But in the meantime, I'm gonna have quick amino acids from other meals and my essential amino acid uh, fortification. So, you know, carbs, you know, if, if you calculate that your, uh, Charlie, your, uh, what is your caloric requirement daily? Did you calculate it? Uh, the BMR? It's about, about, about three and a half thousand is probably what I need for maintenance. Three and a half thousand. Perfect. Okay. And, uh, uh, I'm slowing the math right now. Uh, if you divide this by 24 hours, what would be? Uh, 150 calories an hour, something like that. I will use. Yeah. That so, on. so if you eat every three hours, it would be 450 yeah. calories, for example. But this is if you're gonna stay up throughout the night, like I was, midnight, three o'clock, six o'clock. If you're not, you lower this to awaken hours and then divide it, right? Uh, so whatever caloric requirement is, you take your protein and add, you know, carbs to equal that that part. This is how I would uh, you know, pretty much do it. And then of course, anabolic phase training, it's much higher and uh, maintenance phase could be uh, just maintaining it. 100%. Um, absolute pleasure as always Milos and a pile of advice, which I'm, I thoroughly appreciate and I could uh, talk to you for hours on, but I don't want to keep you too long. Um, so we'll make that wrap there. For anyone to find out some more information about you and uh, share some of the progress, obviously with your, your amazing athletes, where's the best place for them to get in touch? Uh, to follow you. Yeah, my, my social media, I mean, uh, uh, Instagram is at Miloshacev, M-I-L-O-S-S-A-R-C-E-V, or my uh, Facebook page, I have a, a Miloshacev official. Uh, I have a private, uh, uh, both Miloshacev or Shacev Milosh, my private uh, Facebook. But uh, uh, nowadays, for whatever reason, Instagram is uh, probably the easiest access. You, you check this all the time. I'm afraid to say how much screen time every day. I <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It's bad. I, I, blame, I blame COVID, but there we go. There we go. Yeah. Ah. Yes. Um, well, Charlie, uh, it's really a pleasure talking to you. I know that uh, you, you signed up for that uh, training camp that didn't happen, unfortunately. But uh, I, I've seen, uh, I'll see how things go. And 
hopefully I'm going to come back again to UK. If uh, I said this to you last time, if British people ever allowed into America ever again, which is looking unlikely at this rate, uh, I will I'll fly over for a week and uh, I'd love to train with you for a week. It'd be awesome. So yeah, yeah. Make okay. Uh, you know that I moved to Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, yeah, Las yeah. Vegas. yeah. Vegas is even better. It's easier than uh, LA. So there you go. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yes, it's absolutely. Listen, we'll be in touch. And uh, like I said, uh, when was the last time we did it? About a year ago. Yeah, it's about a year ago. Yeah. So we should do it traditionally at least once a year. <laughs> twenty twenty-two. Keep tuned. <laughs> Thank you very yeah. much, Milos. Okay, Charles. Thank you. So that was an absolutely incredible episode of the Shredder Show again with a great, great friend and mentor, Milos Sarchev, one of uh, the world's most famous and classic bodybuilders. Uh, hugely knowledgeable, hugely respected, an absolute pleasure as always. If you haven't checked out the previous episode I did with Milos, that was absolutely insane. Uh, it was maximal muscle building. Uh, we actually recorded that last year. So as Milos said, we're going to make that. It's, I think, a yearly tradition pretty much every springtime that myself and Milos do a podcast together. So if you scroll back through the podcast list, it's episode number 95. I'd highly suggest checking that out. Um, phenomenal episode and well worth a listen. As always, if you found this insightful, please make sure that you share this episode to your stories. Tag myself and Milos in the podcast. We'd highly appreciate that. And also please leave a five-star review as it helps me get more amazing guests to help bring to you, provided with more knowledge and insights to help you with your own fitness journey. If you want any help from me directly, there's a couple of ways I can help. Please click the link below and you can also book in a free six-pack strategy call with myself, the CJ Coaching Team, to discuss how we can help you in 2021 build your ultimate physique. And I've also got my free Absolute Abs training course you can sign up for, which is a three-week training program for ultimate abs. We will see you in the next episode of the podcast and please make sure you leave a review.